Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Always happy to be joined by our latest guest from CBS News Colorado, 22 Colorado Sportscaster of the Year last year. You can follow her on Twitter at Romy underscore Bean or just Romy Bean on Instagram and TikTok. You can find her everywhere because, well, she's everywhere. Uh, one and only Romy Bean joins us. Romy, thanks for, for popping on with us. Obviously, today is, is the start of the NFL draft. The Denver Broncos are not expected to participate. They uh, sort of tried to get into the first round by dangling Jerry Judy. Looking into this draft, uh, not much action for the Broncos this evening, but do you think that Sean Payton was being accurate and the Broncos will trade neither of their wide receivers? Will they end up with five picks or will they find a way to collect more? You know, I think this is so interesting because going into this year, we know George Payton's MO and his MO is darts, right? The more darts, because if you can get half those darts to hit, you have 11 darts and you get five or six to hit, uh, it's, not, it's not so bad. We know George Payton is not thrilled, right, to have five picks. Um, However, I think we don't entirely know Sean Payton's M.O. I mean, you can look back to what he did in New Orleans, but uh, what is his M.O. and what is his M.O. going to be going forward? I think it's it's really interesting. I can't imagine them trading up um, and and forfeiting more picks unless, I don't know, if there's someone you really want in the second and maybe you parlay, you know, your third rounders. Um, but, But outside of that, it's hard to imagine them trading up. I guess trading back, if it, it comes down to the best player available and if they feel like they can do something with those top two um, third-round picks and trade those and parlay them for a couple of thirds and another fourth or something, maybe we see something something there. But you know George wants more picks. However, again, I feel like we still don't totally know what Sean Payton's MO is, that they lo- loaded up in free agency and some certain positions of need so they're not desperate, and that's important. Um, and they are at this point kind of going for more depth positions which you can get starting in that round so i'm curious i'm just curious to see how these two work together in their first route or their first draft together all everything they've said is it's been so great and blah 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 but now we're going to really see i think again i think george would like some more picks but i don't know quite what sean payton's mo is just yet Uh, that's a great point as as you often are successful in making uh i think what we'll get out of this draft is a sense of uh, who is in charge. I think we already sort of know the answer to that question, but it may be reinforced by what we see in the next three days, right? Absolutely. I think that's a great point. And I think you, you uh, hit the head, hit the nail on the head in the first half of that, though. We, we definitely do know who is in charge already. It seems we know, yes. <laughs> it seems we know, and I think going forward it will be that way. But this is going to be interesting because the draft is kind of like George Payton's baby, right? This is where he thrives. This is where he lives. As far as trade, right, as far as, you know, free agency, you know, the verdict could still be out on what George Payton has done. But the draft, that, that's his baby. So it's going to be interesting, I just think, the dynamic to see kind of who wins out here. But I'd be, uh, the other part of that is with only five picks, I don't know if anything super exciting gets done either way. That's the part that I think that is in- intriguing because – uh, you know, coming out of this draft, we're going to look at it and we'll see what they end up doing from the third round on. But the truth of the matter is, if the Broncos are looking for immediate solutions to some of their problems, they're not likely to be found in this draft. And that makes it kind of a, an intriguing draft. You're sort of just adding depth through the draft and it doesn't make the Broncos directly better. So taking the, the offseason as a whole to this point, uh, where do you think they'll look to address that depth in however many picks they have? 
Yeah, I mean, you look at it, and again, I just keep hitting depth. I, I look at I look at a cornerback, like a cornerback two. You kind of bump Jamari Mathis to CB3, perhaps, you know, in that you need a second cornerback. I think you need a center to actually give Lloyd Cushenberry some competition here. You need some depth on on, uh, on the defensive line. I mean, you brought in Zach Allen, but, you know, you also, obviously that kind of replaces Draymond. You also let, um, um why is his name eluding me? Um Ah, Deshaun Williams, you let him go, right? You need somebody to kind of fill that role. So, again, just depth role there. You need offensive line depth, uh, running back depth, right? You brought in oh, sure. line, but Absolutely. you're going to need somebody, especially for right. Devontae Williams. You need you need pass rushers. Yep. I mean, let's be honest, even tight end depth. So, really, they need depth uh, everywhere. But to the point, in the third round, you're probably not going to get any potential impact day one day one starter, everyone is saying, though, that this is a really deep running back trap. So for her, perhaps you get a good, you know, running back two, and P. Ryan is kind of the starter so Javante can get back. And that could be an area where you could find some nice impact, especially early in the season where we don't know with Javante Williams' health. But everywhere else, to me, certainly feels like depth, um, offensive line depth, center depth, et cetera, et cetera, quarterback depth down the line. I, I did something the other day just for fun because – we're not going to have a lot of fun with <laughs> with this draft, yeah, right. at least not for a day and a half. Uh, but I noticed that in uh, the projected uh, order, and Matt Miller of ESPN did a seven-round mock. I mean, he's the ultimate draft, Nick, I guess. He did. I mean, he had summaries on people that were projected to be drafted in the sixth or seventh round. He wasn't just listing names and uh, positions and uh, colleges, universities. He, he he was he was summarizing uh, what they might bring to a particular team. But I, I noticed that uh, he had at sixty seven, sixty eight, two guys who are ranked thirteenth and fifth at their positions. But then at one hundred eight, he had the Broncos taking a running back, and that running back who happened to be Tank Bigsby of Auburn, ranked number six. So that reinforces your point about how this seems to be a deep running back class, and everybody keeps saying that Robinson will be drafted in the top 10, but I'm also hearing people say that, well, maybe Gibbs gets into the first round. Uh, but apart from those two, it, it could be a year in which there are a lot of uh, good ones, but maybe no great one who would uh, uh maybe one maybe the one guy is robinson who would go in the, uh, in the top 10 but the the idea you'd be picking at 108 and get one of the top six players at his position means that that's a pretty deep position doesn't it yeah absolutely and really i've been heard hearing that from gosh even even into november october you know you know the real drastics that start getting into it before the season's over talking about how deep this running back class is. And that's something that could certainly benefit the Broncos because realistically, we have no idea with Javante Williams. You know, uh, we've heard everything from it could be a year from, from the incident, if that's the right word, which was October. It could be more than a year. Or so, And then there's the building them back in. So to get some real solid depth there could be huge. And to not have to trade up for that, that could be a really big, big, um, Big for the Broncos, especially when you get the sense of what kind of offense Sean Payton 
is looking to play, and there's a clear sense here that they're going to play some bully ball, right? With the Ben Powers, with the McGlinchey, with the tight end they brought in, this is this is some bully ball they're going to play. So you need some running backs that aren't afraid to run downhill and break some uh, face masks like Andy Jan- Janovich used to do, you know. But to get a guy like that later in the rounds could be really beneficial when the Broncos have so few picks. That seems like a key pick for them if they can make that happen. What do you make of the the idea that, that Phil Lindsay's reached out to the Broncos and been willing to perform as a role player? Now, we know that one of the challenges is that his size, he's not a very good pass catcher, and that's been limiting. But there's also a lack of depth there and the idea of getting a rookie. Maybe there's maybe there's some value. Do you think it makes any sense for the Broncos to look into that? Uh, I think from like a fan perspective, that's a slam dunk, right? Right. Uh, people, people would Fans love would that. Love people it, would sure. go crazy for that. Fans would love that. Uh, I think, I think, I guess if you can get him really cheap, I mean, he he is a role player, right? And and that's the thing we've always known about Phil. He's not an every down back, but if you can have him as a role player and you can get him for cheap, and you need an extra body there, and you're going to have guys catching out of the backfield, um, I, I don't. I don't have an issue with it. I wouldn't say I'm like gung ho about it. Right. Um, but I think it's one of those things that if, if you need the extra body and we do know he likes Sean Payton loves to, you know, have his receivers catching out of the, or his running back, excuse me, catching out of the backfield. That is a, a, certainly a guy that would be an easy guy to bring in. You don't have to pay him a lot of money. Um, right. So, so it could fit in well if it, if it's, if it's a smaller role. Yeah. I have to say it, but, pretty close to microscopic uh the the one uh, interesting thing to me and maybe the only interesting thing about this bronco draft is they do have consecutive picks at 67 Mm. and 68 and uh as i remember peyton talked about that fairly recently and and seemed to like the idea of not just having two-thirds but having them back to back fairly early on facilitate trades if they right 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 Uh, and uh I, I, I guess this is back to the same uh, issue we've been uh, talking about. If there is a trade, um, who would be driving that trade? Would it be Peyton or uh, Peyton? <laughs> right. Uh, and and, and I, what would, 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 you know, I know they talk about collaboration, but in the end, somebody has to be in charge and, you would think with those two picks, do you think they'll actually make those two picks or do you think they'll trade at least one of the two? Ah, that's a great question. I think that if George Payton is in charge, they're trading one of those to get two out of it, right? To at least then get one more pick. Right. Um, but I think – I, you know, I, I'm, this is an educated, maybe uneducated guess at this point that I could see Sean Payton just taking the, the two best players available that fit best in the scheme uh, right. with this. Right. Uh, so and, you know, take a pass rusher, take I a lineman, you know. Yeah, right. right. Uh, that, that's that's exactly what I think is going to gonna happen, as a matter of fact. I think they'll use them both. I think they need the help. But we're talking with Romy Bean from CBS News Colorado, and uh, we want to switch over real quick before you go to the Avalanche. Obviously, uh, the series yeah. has not gone the way they wanted. It is not disastrous. It's not beyond the realm of possibility. Kale McCarr comes back in Game 6. They win Game 6. They come back to Denver for Game 7 and still win the series. But But how do you see the series playing out at this point? Uh, I think the abs are teetering uh, on simply collapsing. Sandy's not so sure. So we're curious to find out, uh, what, based on what you've seen, where do you get the sense that the abs are? 
You know what, guys? I don't like it. Um, I feel like I feel like there's a lot going on here. First of all, you got to give credit to the Kraken. Um, they are. They look like they want it more. They're hungrier, and the biggest thing is they have got more depth, plain and simple. Um, we look at the Avs exactly last right. year, and their and then their depth showed up so much. Right. Depth is right. huge in the Stanley Cup playoffs. It is a battle of attrition out there, and and the Avs just do not have it this year. Plain and simple. I mean, Jared Bednar said last night they might play Nathan McKinnon for thirty minutes, but Nate can only yeah. do so much. Um, so I so I think that's part of it. The other part of it is it just feels it feels like. You know, for lack of a better word, just bad juju. Like, everything that kind of could be going wrong, uh, I think the Gabe, Gabe Landeskog piece hurts. I think that, yes, you can win in the regular season without Gabe, but there is a leadership aspect. There is nobody on that on that ice with a C on their sweater, and you can see it, and it's coming through. I think that's that's a big thing. There's stuff going on. There's a lot of things. There's the battle situation. There was Kale. Uh, I think yeah. a lot of guys are still not healthy, and I think these guys – are looking up at the mountain, the Mount Everest that they climbed last year, and saying, can we do this again? Do we have the physical health? Do we have the depth to go through this grind again? And I think that there's some doubt. Um, and there's just a different sense. Now, that's not to say they can't figure it out, turn it on, click. But right now, you know, you can just see this team, it feels like it is hard for them to get up and get out there right now. And they're looking at that mountain. That looks like a really big mountain. So I do feel like this is a, a two-pronged thing, what's happening on and off the ice. Uh, there's still enough talent in that room and, and enough leadership that I think they can still get it done. I'm not counting them out, but it doesn't feel great right now. I, I agree with almost all of that. And I, I, would, I would suggest you, you already hinted at this. Uh, there are a couple things going on here. One, uh, however much emphasis you want to put on either, one happened on the ice, one happened off the ice. There's obviously a degree of difference uh, between uh, between the two, but they're acts of irresponsibility. Uh, McCarr hurt his team the other night. Not only did Seattle score a power play goal that helped them win the game as a result of the penalty, uh, it seemed to inspire Seattle, even with the loss of Jared McCann. Uh, The wounded Tiger theory seemed to prevail, not only through the rest of that game, but contrary to what I thought last night, especially with a kid who scored his first NHL goal uh, to put him ahead 2-1 to uh, in the second period. And, uh, you know, the Nashushkin thing, uh, whatever is going on would seem to involve a rather significant degree of irresponsibility on the part of Nashushkin. Uh, we can sort of take that as a given at this point, especially considering the Avalanche are talking about it in a way that doesn't suggest his return is imminent. He's certainly not going to play tomorrow night. He's not going to play in this series even if they get by. And speaking of getting by, I would, I would ask you this question, too. Even if they can summon up uh, the kind of energy and uh, desire it would take to win the next two games, deep in the back of their minds, they, they got to be thinking, we don't have the stuff to get past Dallas, much less Edmonton, in ensuing rounds. So, yeah, even if we dig down deep and – pool all our resources together and win these next two games, 
we're not going any further. So maybe you're deep down resigned to the fact that you're going to lose at some point. Might as well lose now. I mean, I think there might be that, that piece of that. Let's go back, regroup, and, and, and come back next year. And let's see some of these guys are like huge competitors. Mason McKinnon most definitely doesn't feel that way. I don't think any of them want to lose, but I just think uh, on that point and, and kind of back to that kind of analogy I was saying that, right? They're looking up at that mountain and it's yes. like, man, do, do, it's that do we have yeah. it this year? And, and we know how hard they know now, how hard it is to summit that mountain. It is the hardest uh, championship to win in sports. There's not a doubt about it, and and it's. I think that there are lingering kind of doubts of, of can, can we do it this year? She is Romy Bean, of course, with CBS News Colorado, the reigning F22 Colorado Sportscaster of the Year. Delighted to have her on. Follow her on Twitter, Romy underscore Bean, and otherwise social, just Romy Bean, R-O-M-I Bean. Uh, Romy, so good to talk to you. Obviously, it's a it's a really busy time. we got playoffs. we got the draft, just about everything. Thanks for giving us a, a little overview of where it all stands. Appreciate it. Hey, guys, love being on, and it's great. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks so much, Romy. Appreciate it. This right. is uh, Thanks, Romy. A, a lot of interesting points, I think, about the Broncos draft there that i think is going to be a telling because as this draft goes along tonight you know i know a lot of fans will watch it the broncos are not going to be involved they're not going to hop into the first round uh, don't be looking if you're going to watch it don't watch for that it's not going to happen they said we don't have the assets the only way to go in the first round is to trade justin simmons or pat sertan that's it they're not going to do that so uh they won't be in action tonight but the, the rest of the draft will be interesting. We will have Chris Thomason of the Denver Gazette to uh, preview it tomorrow Old as friend. well. Yeah, uh, Chris back in town uh, years away and now covering the Broncos, so we'll have him there tomorrow. But, yeah, touching again on the abs, it really is an, an odd situation. And, you know, we want to make sure that, that you, you talk about the, the fatigue after winning a title, and, and that's a lot of it. The injuries are uh, are a lot of it as as well. So, you know, we will we will – a hop to that in a minute, but you know the Abs obviously do need a win in Game Six, or they're done. And when you are hurt, you need a win as well. So talk to our friends at Burnham Law, BurnhamLaw.com. The phone number is seven two zero eight four five seven zero zero one. You want to hire a winner, and that's what they do. Their personal injury attorneys have years of experience fighting for all their clients. They're easy to get to. They have locations in Fort Collins, Boulder, Westminster, Cherry Creek. Colorado Springs, even up in Cheyenne, and the main personal injury office is right here where we are in the tech center. So when you're injured, they'll push for you to get your maximum recovery, whether it's by settlement or by trial. So don't hire someone to get off the billboard. Find yourself someone who wins. And the winners over at Burnham Law are the ones you want to reach. 720-845-7001. Are the Avs, if they simply just run out of gas, if they known that if it isn't going to end raising the cup, how much energy do they have to go the rest of the way? We'll talk about it next in Mile High Sports. Sandy Cuff and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Well, see, now I'm going to have to ask Danny Bailey in the booth what you're thinking. Because most of the time, Danny's got something behind all the all the musical plans. There, there's something there where the... Uh, there's something behind it. There's like a good joke. There's a good setup, right? He, he's, he's, he's like John Stockton for me. He just kind of lays me up with the tunes. But then today, it's, it's, but it's, but it's Creed? 
What's going on, man? Well, Anilo and Cody always have a little back and forth because Cody's not a big fan of Creed. Anilo, very appreciative of their art. Um, <laughs> and I've been missing uh, I've been missing their show the last couple days since they've been off. So I wanted to get in there. Also, if the Avalanche want to stay alive, they got to take their play to a higher level. Oh, okay. I like it. Okay. See, it was next like level it. stuff. That, I knew there was something behind it. Yeah. You just every every once in a while, things. yeah. So I, okay, so the the layup was there. I was just on the wrong side of the basket. It happens. It happens. It's live radio for you, but yeah, I just can't. Uh, every time I hear that guy, rrr, 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 I have no idea what he says. That's art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Art. It's sort of like it, uh, less uh, less mumbly Michael McDonald. It's like if they went the yeah. exact opposite way, like with Michael McDonald and the, and the Doobies, and his is more like rrr, 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 rrr. you don't know what he says. But then the Creed guy just holds the, the long nose. He's just going for forever long, and then whatever he says. I have no idea. Threw me off a little bit there. But anyway, thank you for the explanation, uh, Danny. Needed that. The Avs feel like they need an explanation, too. And, Sandy, I, I, hate, I hate to be the one to say it, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. To me, they just look cooked. They look like they're out of gas. They look like they've, there's too many injuries. You have too many guys playing hurt. You have guys a little bit frustrated at other guys for various reasons. You see out-of-character moves like McCarr getting himself suspended on. Yes, yes. a cheap shot. Uh, Val Nachushkin's situation, of course, really hurts the team, uh, not only from the on-ice perspective, but it, anytime you have a situation like that, it, it really... Cast a pall over it casts a pall over the It casts a pall over the locker room, and, and Nachushkin is not exactly, uh, you know, he's not he's not hated. He's not like a hated by oh, his no, teammates. No. So th- that ends up being some of these guys are going to be closer to him than others. Georgiev has called Nachushkin before uh, his best friend on the yeah. team. Right. So, I mean, it, it, there's just, it feels to me, and looking at just looking at the, the guys' faces on the bench, and there are you're, a couple you're exceptions. You're reading expressions and body language. I'm looking at body language I, I look and at body language. Uh, too, I just these guys. Uh, to me, it I, feels I like disagree. the Avs just feel like I think we're 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 done. We our, we did everything we could. Our only They're checking out. Our only point of difference, I think, is that I can concoct a scenario by which the Avalanche could win the next two games and win this yes, series. I, I think so. I think it's possible. Sure. But like you, I cannot, and I don't believe they can either. Concoct a scenario by which. They win the Stanley Cup again. Heck, I don't think, even though all 16 teams are still alive, if you look ahead to the next round and assume it's Dallas, they can't beat Dallas. And if they somehow did that, I'd look to the next round thinking it will probably be Edmonton. Yikes. And they can't beat them. Not right now. Even, even if they were at full strength, I'm not sure It'd they be could push. beat Edmonton. So I I think, and we we heard from Giannis uh, earlier, uh, really talking about and speaking for I think many athletes, major professional athletes, and the psychology of competition. When you realize that what you did before, you cannot duplicate the following season. And that's why it's tough to win consecutive championships. And you really have to tip your hat to Tampa for having one. Yeah. Two in I a don't row. think people understood how hard that was and but, coming so close to winning. But three. That, that was almost like a Bronco deal where they, a shocking playoff loss preceded the winning of 
consecutive Stanley Cups, just as the Broncos lost at Jacksonville and proceeded then to win the Super Bowl for the next two years. But not next three. The Broncos fell apart in 1999 with Elway retiring and TD getting hurt. Shannon Sharp getting hurt. And Tampa made it all the way back to the Stanley Cup final last year, but never really seemed to seriously challenge the Avalanche for a three-peat. And you look at the history of the Super Bowl, three-peat, There's what, what's that? It's never By happened. far, the closest you got was the Steel Curtain Steelers who won four out of five. Um, that's the closest. Four out of six. To, four out of six, pardon me. Four that's out of that's six. the closest to a right. that sort of situation that's, we've ever seen. That's exactly right. That's the closest. And I, I, I would still call Pittsburgh a dynasty yeah. over that period of the time. The Broncos snuck in, uh, in the, one of those The Broncos Super Bowl. snuck in, and the Raiders Smoked won the, the Cowboys, in 1976. But... And on the way, knocked off the Steelers Mm -hmm. uh, in the championship game because the Steelers were, guess what, banged up and injured. And Oakland might have been the better team anyway. So you you have the Avs banged up and injured. Uh, I think Dallas might be better anyway. Edmonton might be better anyway. The Avalanche, I think, reached down for all they had to go 31-7-4 and and come from almost an impossible position to win the Central Division, and they had very little left to start this series, even with Makar and Nishushkin in the lineup. They came back and won Game 2 after losing Game 1 at home. They had enough, and Makar was simply unbelievable, as was McKinnon in game number three to win that one 6-4. But even within that game, they were up 3-1. You blinked and it was 3-3. There were bad patches in that game for the Colorado Avalanche. They also allowed the first goal of that game before scoring three unanswered themselves. So they've been in some degree of trouble in every game of this series. And I think as it goes on, the die has been cast. I think they know they can't go all the way. Deep down, they know that. I think Bednar senses that. I think I think great coaches sense these things in teams. They know the reality and of their they potential. Know, they know where they are, and they know that they can draw up all the X's and O's they want. They can shuffle the lines and the defense pairings all they want. They're getting not great goaltending, but certainly more than adequate goaltending yeah. from Georgiev in this series. And he's they're no, down he's three not the games reason to two. He's not a, the reason they're not. down three games to two. And Grubauer is not the reason that Seattle is up three games to two. I don't think there's been a scintilla of difference uh, between the two goaltenders in this series. The difference has been the resolve and the relentlessness of Seattle and the sporadic nature of the Avalanche uh, performance. I won't say effort, because that's that's always tough to judge. They're giving what they have to give. I'm not sure they have a lot to give, and there's clearly enormous pressure last night on people like McKinnon and Rantanen 
Uh, Rodriguez, I thought, had a solid game. But, you know, maybe Comfer. Uh, but Comfer was a minus one, you know, for, for the night. Uh, McKinnon was plus two. McKinnon was outstanding. But even McKinnon last night got caught up in the frustration, argued with an official over a call he sh- he thought should have been made. Uh, I do too. That would have put the avalanche is. on the power play. But to me, it's a 50-50 call. Yeah, you don't get You calls. make it sometimes. It you don't make it sometimes. You can't argue. You got to get off the ice fast. And because he argued and didn't get off the ice fast enough, Confer was late in defending. And the guy he would have defended, uh, that he was late in defending, yeah, he put was in a bad spot. Cartier. And Cartier scores what, to me, is the game-winning goal. First guy, by the way, since Kale McCarr back in 2019 to score exactly a goal right. in your very first, exactly up, right. in your very first and game. And this guy's so congr- a player. Congratulations. It wasn't like this guy but, played three minutes right. and got a lucky no, opportunity he, he and scored well. a goal. He played a good game, and he was the guy, to me, who made uh, McCann's absence mm-hmm. irrelevant for Seattle. You, you hit it on the head when you're talking about relentlessness and the you, it's hard to judge effort. I get that, but the abs have been outworked and they have been out. No doubt. Uh, no, across oh, no the doubt. board, they have been no. outworked. And, and, even, and I think when you're looking at, at this, this particular situation with this team, only seven avalanche players are in plus in this series and right, right. over the plus minus right. seven. And, 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 and there aren't it. that many who have really played well. There's some no. plus guys who haven't played. No. well. No, In fact, there's only five that are more than plus one. That's it. Right. And one of them, by the way, was Kale McCarr, who wasn't available last night because of a decision he made that was careless. And, right. And to a certain extent, right. call it what it is, selfish. Yes. The play that you knew was Kale going McCarr to cost you that. is a great player. And I still do. And he did something he, that was stupid and selfish the other night. But he did do that. That's he the reality. And, and sometimes that happens. Just like Nathan McKinnon was probably a little selfish, trying to argue a, a a goal and or, or a penalty he didn't get, right. and it led to a goal. That doesn't mean he's a selfish player, but it means no. in that moment. But the frustration overcame it. The frustration, the frustration has overcome overcame. a few of the biggest players for this team at the worst possible time. And, and you and, know what? The score was one-one at the time. Right now, if the score is two nothing or three nothing, okay. Uh, or if it's two nothing and the goal scored leads to three to nothing, uh, you know, I I can understand the frustration bubbling over. But you don't have the luxury. I don't. It, I don't care and who not you in a tie are. Series. You don't have the luxury in a two-two series in a one-one game five of doing what he right. did. But he is the least of the offenders. No, McKinnon by comparison has been with by McCarr and Nishushkin. McKinnon by far has been the Avs' best player. We're not even. It's not even close. There, there is McKinnon and everybody else, and then there's probably Miko Randon, and then everybody yes, else below him. I, I, I mean, that's it. I, I uh, this team to agree. me just feels like that they are out of gas, and, and it, it shows. I've I told people all year, and I, I stand behind it, that I thought if this team was healthy, 100% healthy, when the playoffs started, they could win a Stanley Cup, and I stand behind that. But they're not. They're nowhere close. You are missing big parts, uh, one not by injury now in Dejushin's case. Uh, other big parts of your team are playing injured, clearly. And and I, I think you're right. I think the Avs, and the Avs pushed to get that, that two seed, and they needed it because we both talked about that. We thought the only possible route to the cup was having home ice against everybody except Vegas, especially against Edmonton. So they needed to get that two seed. It was critical. But to then get, we also you said had to push for it. They weren't a good home team this year. In fact, they were considerably but you, but better on the road. But you still have to push for it because you still oh, want I, that game seven. I, I agree. I'm just saying. I just think they're totally the, 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 out 
that the gas. signs were there. And I think Bednar summed it up during the in-game interview on the bench when he told um, Leah Haxtell, is it, mm-hmm. that, well, we're forechecking, but we're not doing it with any force. We're not being disruptive right. enough. And he always, he's so articulate, and he hit, that's exactly right. It wasn't a question of effort. The On the four the, checks, yes. they were four checking, but they weren't disruptive. Yeah. Seattle is relentless on the four and, check, and, and they are disruptive. They are They physical. are disruptive. Uh, you can four check to your heart's content, and if you're not disrupting anything, if you're not applying the four check with any force, if you're not making the other team turn the puck over, as Seattle made the Avalanche turn it over again and again and again, it, it it's happening the whole series. It, it doesn't make any difference. At some point, you're kind of going through the motions of forechecking, but it, it's nothing like the forecheck that they applied a year ago in the Stanley Cup playoffs, which was effective and caused Mark Messier on ESPN to say during and after game two, this is the best hockey game I have ever seen a team play. Bar none, this is Mark Messier, who won Stanley Cups in Edmonton, who broke a more than 50-year curse in New York with the Rangers with his leadership and his guarantees at points of doubt. Uh, three, two deficits can be overcome. Many teams have done that. In fact, less than 80% of the teams in the history of the Stanley Cup playoffs, less than 80, have won the series. It isn't impossible by any means. But they have gone from being a team that maybe played the best hockey game that was ever played. It's one game, not a series. He didn't say a series. But he said for one game, it was the best team he ever saw. And we have seen nothing in this series that remotely resembles that. The Avalanche will have an opportunity to keep it going on Friday in Seattle. That'll be that late 8 p.m. start to stay alive. They need a win to bring it to a game seven back in Denver. Well, baseball is back. And, of course, the push for the postseason is on in, in hockey and hoops. So make it all count this spring with Superbook Sports. Superbook Sports, the best wagering app around with a direct line to the experienced bookmakers behind the counter in Las Vegas. And plus, right now, you get a $250 bonus when you sign up, deposit, and wager all in the same day. So don't let spring pass you by without winning money with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. A terrific scene, a memorable scene at the uh, Colorado Sports Hall of Fame last night. Sandy, you were in attendance we look forward to hearing a little bit more about that next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Last night, the Colorado Sports uh, Hall of Fame had its induction and awards banquet. Uh, obviously, a, a terrific celebration there and, and, a, and a touchment for Demarius Thomas uh, being uh, inducted into that Hall of Fame. But, Sandy, you you were there, and I, I was focused on the, the Avs game last night. You were at the at the uh, the event, the banquet and the event. 
And uh, I'm sure there are a, a great number of stories uh, about it. And we definitely wanted to hear about how that how that went because uh, obviously Demaris is a big part of it. But this is this is a big year uh, across the board for the for this. Sports Hall uh, this was uh, a great event last night. I've, I've been to several of uh, uh, these uh, ceremonies, uh, induction and awards banquet. And I thought it was uh, very well done last night. Um, they've had some uh, Academy Award length <laughs> programs in the past. Uh, but uh, last night, uh, things were moving, and the people who were honored were wonderful. Uh, and I want to uh, commend the Masters of Ceremonies, Dave Logan and Susie Wargen. Uh, Sarah Hornbuckle, who sang the national anthem, uh, Tom Lawrence, the president and CEO of the Colorado Sports Hall of Fame, and, of course, Peyton Manning, uh, who was there uh, essentially on behalf of Demarius uh, Thomas in presenting uh, what is now known as the 18 to 88 scholarship uh, presentation. Uh, of course, Peyton inducted back in 2018, and uh, Athlete with Disabilities Award went to uh, – uh, the magnificent Hannah Joy Atkinson, Special Olympics Colorado, and her speech was uh, flat out wonderful, hilarious, uh, delivered magnificently. And uh, in fact, uh, uh, Dave and Susie were uh, joking that uh, she could join in as a master of ceremonies by herself <laughs> at, at her next, next year, year yeah. uh, the 2024 uh, banquet. Uh, Lauren Betts from Grandview, high school female athlete of the year. Daniel Cardinals from Pomona, uh, high school the male athlete of the year, high school male athlete of the year, the college female athlete of the year. Of course, Yasmin Hernandez from CSU Pueblo, and uh, John Matoka, the wonderful quarterback, Colorado School of Mines, mm -hmm. the uh, college football story of the year uh, yeah. last year, Boy, they without question. They were terrific. And uh, uh, he, he was honored as the college male athlete of the year, professional athlete of the year. Uh, Kale McCarr, we talked about that a little earlier. Uh, and uh, the King of the Hill uh, award went out to the Avalanche, the DU Pioneers, and Denver East, which was actually a compilation of participants from uh, DPS schools. Uh, all championship winners in 2022. And, of course, the inductees, uh, the great uh, Evie Dennis, uh, who was uh, 98 years young, up and speaking wow. at the lectern last That's night. Awesome. And just, again, uh, unbelievable. I mean, she could have co-emceed with uh, Hannah Joy Atkinson, she had a great story about an interaction with Fidel Castro. Whoa. And in conclusion, she noted that at 98, she was still around. That's a win already. It didn't need to be mentioned that Fidel Castro is no longer with us. True. Yeah. Uh, uh, Vincent Jackson, uh, his uh, mother and father were up there uh, speaking on his behalf. Uh, Vincent Jackson, the, the wonderful man. Uh, Extraordinary scholar, career up at, uh, uh, at Northern Colorado. Wonderful yeah. career at Northern Colorado. Uh, was uh, of such academic uh, achievement 
to be deserving of uh, a scholarship offer from Columbia. Chose uh, Northern Colorado and was a second-round pick and, of course, went on to a terrific career uh, with the Chargers and uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh, Jimmy Huga, uh, the late Jimmy Huga, uh, along with Billy Kidd, you know, the heroes right. of the 1964 Olympics. Uh, Billy uh, Kidd won uh, uh, the silver medal Alpine uh, event, and, and Jimmy Hugo, who was uh, later uh, diagnosed with MS and lived a courageous, uh, marvelous life, uh, even after that diagnosis, uh, won silver that year uh, in, in the same event. And, uh, of course, Demarius Thomas, you always, uh, already mentioned, uh, uh, you know, I, I always uh, particularly enjoyed uh, during training camp on a virtually annual basis, the chance to talk with Demarius Thomas with uh, various partners along the way. And uh, Demarius was uh, first class all the way. Uh, one of those people who would say hello before you did, mm-hmm. uh, if you crossed paths. And uh, Dave Logan uh, uh, had some personal stories to tell about uh, Demarius Thomas, uh, who would show up at uh, uh, some of Dave's games. Uh, uh, as uh, as a player and just stand there on the sideline, not drawing attention to himself, would just stand there watching, and Dave would approach him, and he'd say, I just wanted to come and see what you're all about and uh, <laughs> curious about other people's lives. Kind of an unusual thing in our society uh, today. And, uh, of course, George Carl uh, talking, I think, more eloquently than anyone else could, I imagine, about issues uh, that both related to basketball and to what is going on uh, in our society today. And uh, George uh, suggested that uh, when we look back 50 years from now, the 2020s will be remembered as the decade of the woman. And he said one of his great regrets was in not surrounding himself with more women who were eminently qualified during his coaching career. Uh, wished he had done more, but realizes now uh, what uh, women are on all levels of basketball are capable of contributing. And he also spoke at length about uh, mental health as the crisis of our time and told a very personal story about his uh, daughter in that regard. So uh, congratulations to George. Uh, I, I saw George before uh, beforehand and uh, was sitting at uh, one of the two tables that were reserved for George, and he was saying, well, I've just scribbled down a few things. And we, the, the speech was wonderfully delivered and, and, and received in the same way, and it capped off the night, and it was just a beautiful evening. Uh, really a beautiful evening and uh, uh, basically started and ended at the same time the Avalanche game started and ended. A uh, lot more fun was had at the uh, Hall of Fame banquet last night. Yeah, congratulations uh, to, to Ben Miner, the first recipient of that 18 to 88 scholarship. And, and, uh, and, and he also was terrific when he got up to speak. Uh, humble and gracious 
and it, it, it was just uh, George wrapped up the evening, but paid tribute to all those who had spoken before him. Uh, and, and Peyton Manning getting emotional, uh, you know, Damaris's parents mm-hmm. were on hand and uh, Peyton getting emotional, um, up there talking about Damaris was, uh, as moving a moment as you'll ever see in an event. Katina Smith uh, talked to Nine News prior to the to the event and said that the scholarship is a blessing because Peyton and DT were not only teammates, but they were friends. And the 18 to 88 is another prestigious award that I love and will be a blessing to who gets it tonight and to others in the future. So uh, w- wonderful news there. And obviously so many people are deserving of the uh, uh, of the award at the time. So terrific. Thanks for sharing all the stories uh, with us. Obviously, that's really uh, an, an amazing experience every year and, and it celebrates the more rich history of Colorado sports than I think sometimes it gets credit for. It, there was so much greatness in that room last night. And, and for people, uh, even of my generation, maybe especially of my generation, uh, to, to see and in some cases meet some of the heroes of my youth who happen to have Colorado ties. And for, for a state like this to have all of these people, connected with it, grew up here, worked here, uh, made their lives here. We are very blessed to be living in the state of Colorado. Uh, that much is certain. Obviously, the, nothing going tonight, of course, no. for the, uh, the, the, the Nuggets or the, the, the draft. And there's the nothing going on from a Bronco perspective. But we'll there. be back tomorrow, of course, looking at what the Broncos might do when they get a chance to draft tomorrow. The Avs will be in action tomorrow as well. We'll take a look at the Nuggets as they get ready for the Suns on Saturday. Thanks to Romy Bean from CBS Colorado for joining us. Thanks to Danny Bailey in the booth. Andrew Dentmer is the guy that makes the video side of it work as well. So if you're ever watching it on MileySports.com, either watching or listening, thanks. And then those are the two guys that make it happen. It's not Sandy and me because we don't have any buttons or know how all that works. Uh, we A just, good thing. We, yeah, it's better for everybody. We just do the talking part. But that's it for us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, at 2 o'clock. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. Thanks for listening to Mile High Sports. Yeah, draft day, Johnny Manziel. Five years later, how am I the man still? Draft day, A. Wiggins.